0: Welcome to The Shannon Plan. My name is Kyle Posey. This is episode 58. I have a special guest today, Eric Crocker. Eric, tell the people what you do. I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but for those that don't, what's going on?
1: Oh yeah, man. Uh, I'm the co-host of Locked On 49ers, daily 49ers podcast. Uh, We record five days a week. And we recently slipped to number three in the football podcast. So we've been, we're always number one. Every blue moon will be number two. But after week one, we were number three. So our numbers weren't what we were expecting. So 49ers fans, man, we need y'all to listen back in or whatever y'all do. I don't know. But um, ho- co-host of, of Locked On 49ers with my guy Brian Peacock, and also uh co-host of Locked On NFL Draft, which will start next Monday. So I'm really excited about that. So and that'll be coming to you know all streaming platforms and YouTube as well.
0: Sounds like you guys didn't finish strong like the uh, like the 49ers, and that's why you slipped. Um, okay, so today we're going to talk about defense and defense only, mainly the secondary. So first, let's talk about what we saw on the field. We don't have to talk about Jason Ret because it's a sore subject and everybody knows. Um, you know, it's just painful to see that. It was, it was tough. The hardest part was seeing him walk off the field because he knew
1: that wasn't even the hardest part for me. I mean, you know, because guy, guys get hurt, and, and you know that it comes with football, but. For me, it's just kind of really knowing the adversity that he's had to fight through and battle through for the last four or five years. And finally kind of like look like he's gotten back on track uh, last year, being able to finish off the year and play extremely well. And the expectations that, that, you know, fans, myself, the team had on him heading into this year and for it to be all gone in week one. I I think that that was the toughest thing for, for me, just understanding like the mental aspect of that and and how hard that probably has to be on them like shoes I, I felt like crying with him that was that was tough and not even because of the 49ers just because of him I mean, and, and what it meant like as a man and you know how how he you know supports his family
0: yeah man it sucks so uh for those that don't know I covered the chargers from 2014 to 2017 so I've been everywhere that Jason verrett has been the first time that I saw him was his rookie season in 2015. He was unreal. Everything that we've seen last year is exactly how vret has been his entire career. So to see him come back from, I believe it was like four season-ending knee surgeries and still fight through it, uh, it's painful, man. But uh, the 49ers have other players that we need to talk about. So one of them, De'Amador Lenore. The other, Dante Johnson. We have Ambry Thomas. We have a bunch of guys who we need to talk about. But I want to talk about the safeties. And I want to talk about Jaqueski Tart because to me – he was one of the top three players on the 49ers defense. He was incredible. And yes, he gave up a touchdown. And that's the first thing that you're going to remember when you think about the game. What do you mean he had a good game? He gave up a five-yard out route to TJ Hawkinson. Uh, that's one play. And that does not define his game. He had so many plays where he's aggressively fitting against the run, like beating blockers, wrong-arming tight ends, doing a bunch of things that you know maybe the casual fan might not notice. But he was the reason on a few plays that the 49ers were able to get off the field. He had that one play, again, another one that's going to come to your mind first, where he's in the middle of the field. It was a rangy play, uh, if you get to see it from the all-22 angle. But he hits the defender, or he hits the wide receiver in the helmet, and he gets flagged for a 15-yard penalty. So those are going to be the two plays that most people think of during the game. But to me, that was a great play. Uh, Yes, he should go probably an inch or two lower. But what did you think about that
1: play? They got to change this rule, and, and I think that like there there has to be uh, some emphasis on the intent of the hit. If you have a defensive back diving in the air, laying out for a ball, and there's some incidental contact with his helmet and the receiver's helmet, I, I feel like like that that's not is, is that what this penalty is there for? Like I thought it was for like the egregious hits the guy just coming across the middle and you just declete him and it's all helmet to helmet and it's like instant CTE. Like, that's what I thought this was for. Not because a guy is laying out to knock a ball away and there's some incidental contact. So they had to fix it. Like, that was a terrific play by him. I think that shows some of the coverage ability that he has to be able to make plays like that in space. Uh, you talked about, you know, the five-yard out. There was like another like kind of quick out or whatever that he got beat by Hawkinson. And that's good on good. And Hawkinson played played well all game. I mean, he was someone that the 49ers kind of struggled to really be able to contain. But it I I noted that dang, okay, maybe the 49ers played a little bit more man coverage than I thought they would. And they used Tart in that situation where a lot of times they would actually put uh Jimmy Ward. In that position, where he'd be the down guy playing man on the tight end, and you'd have Tart or whoever else the other off ball safety is, um, he'd be playing deep. So it was inter- interesting to see that usage, and I want to see does it stay that way moving towards the Eagles, and you know they got Dallas Goddard and things like that. But overall, man, like I-, I like that you pointed out a lot of the good, and you point out the bad too, because I think a lot of fans miss out on a lot of context within plays. Like there was eighty plus plays in this game. Yeah. You know, however many that defense played. So, if you're getting, you know, people notice one or two plays out of 80-something, then I think you did have a good game.
0: On Like, no doubt about it. And you can do the same thing if we want to just flip the switch here. So, Panay Sewell, I thought, got the best of Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa had a tackle for loss where he beat Sewell. He had a sack where he just walked him back into the backfield. So, if you only saw those two plays, you're thinking – Bosa dominated Sewell, but if you watch the entire game back, you're like, whoa, Sewell can play because not many people can do that to Bosa, but let's stick here. Oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say, I think, you know, with the offensive defensive line, like, it's tough because D-line, like, you're not going to win every rep against the offensive line. Like, you're probably going to lose more reps than you win, but it's just, for the most part, like, how are you affecting the game? And I thought there there was good, like, I thought it was good on good. And I mm-hmm. thought, like, that's what you want to see out of a battle. Like, both guys are competing um, we've seen that with guys I remember, uh, who was it, uh, Jason Verrett guarding DeAndre Hopkins last year. Like, Verrett did extremely well. But, you know, there were a few catches that he gave up. But yeah. even then, you saw him, like, competing, and it was it, it was good on good. I think Sewell, very Bosa was clearly good on good. Bosa had some hurries, got some things where he moved the quarterback. Obviously, like you said, got the TFL, had another couple of TFLs, um, got the sack. But there also were plays where he got stonewalled, and there were yeah. plays where Sewell was winning. So I look at those like the O-line is supposed to win more in just a head-up battle, but overall, it, it was good on good. It was a good battle.
0: So as a defensive lineman, you are the best of the best win like 20% of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so just think about that, the context. You're winning one out of five times. You are elite. So, yeah, good good for Bosley in that regard. So let's talk about – let's get back to the secondary. Wednesday, Manuel Mosley still not practicing, still has a knee injury. That is no bueno because – Obviously Jason is not there. And that means, opposite of Diamond Olinore, let let's assume he starts for now just because he's been out there pretty much all during training camp. And Josh Norman, Drake or Patrick, I don't know. What do you think happens if Mosley can't go? And I guess before we get into that, should we be worried about Mosley? Because is this going to be a thing all season? He is, you know, the one guy that they have left who has starting experience, who has played at a high level in the NFL. Obviously, he's been, you know, up and down last year more so. But uh, what what do you think about Mosley?
1: First, I want I want to address one thing before we really get started, like the cornerback depth. And I listen to y'all podcast, so I heard Rob's, uh, you know, viewpoint on this and other people. Uh, it's, it's tough to really have deep depth, you know what I'm saying? But I always try to look at, like, what is the coaching staff thinking? So a couple years ago, most people were like, 49ers need to draft a cornerback. And I'm like, dude, they're not going to draft a cornerback. Like, yes, they are. They need to draft a cornerback. Like, all these guys are old. And I'm like, look at this situation that the 49ers are in. All right. You look, they had Richard Sherman. They, they had Akela Witherspoon. And it's like, well, I'm good with these guys starting. Then they also had Emmanuel Mosley. And with him and Spoon, it was like kind of a battle for who is going to be the one that actually ends up starting. And then you have Jason Verrett. Who is was like, you know, a veteran and then, you know, obviously other guys like Dante Johnson and stuff, but you look at that situation. It's like, well, do I draft a cornerback high that's going to come in? Is he going to play over Richard Sherman? Probably right. not. Is this yeah. high draft pick going to play over a Witherspoon and Emmanuel Mosley right now that you actually just went to a Super Bowl with. And you know that these guys can both play well in stretches. Probably not. Right. Because if he doesn't beat those guys out, then what, you know, you just got this high draft pick just sitting on the bench and that's typically never ideal. So, Uh, I I understood them really not going all in to draft a corner at that spot uh, uh, that year, heading into this year, this was definitely a situation where the 49ers definitely could address a cornerback even high if they would like to, but I'm trying to look at it from their perspective. And they looking at it like we have uh, Jason Verrett. We have Emmanuel Mosley. We are good with these guys starting, like we're good with them starting, but we definitely need to start kind of getting an influx of young talent at the cornerback position. So what do they do? They go out, they draft Ambry Thomas, who a lot of people thought would go higher if he actually played last season. You know, he was a guy that tested well. He has decent size, movement, skill, ability, and things like that. It's like, you know what, we'll, we'll see what happens with this guy. This is a highly talented guy. Let's see how it works out. He, he opted out for the season. But you get him because you feel like, you know what, there's no rush to bring a third-round guy, third guy on right now and have him have to play over a Mosley or over a Jason Verrett. He can learn at his own pace or whatever. And then you double down and you draft another corner in the fifth round with D'Amador Lenore. So I looked at it as where, you know, some people are like, well, they didn't address corner. And I'm like, well, well, they did. They had two starting corners and Mosley and Verrett, and they drafted two guys that could potentially, you know, be guys moving forward. Now the tough thing is, and most teams would deal with this situation it is never ideal to lose two starting corners in a season. You know, like like if you if you go into a game like they are this week and you're down your two starting corners, I don't care who you are, you're going to be in trouble. And I did hear Rob kind of say, well, the 49ers should have known if they lose Verrett, they're going to be in trouble. And it's like, if any team loses their best cornerback, they're in trouble right. because whoever is coming in is not as good as the guy who is the best cornerback on their team. You can look at – the Philadelphia Eagles, if they lose Slay, like, who else else do they have? Look at the Rams. If they lose Ramsey, like, who do they have? Like, most of these teams, they lose their top guy or two of their top guys, they're going to be in some trouble. And I think that's what the 49ers are kind of in right now. In the sense of who I think will kind of play, I think you, you got to look at Dante Johnson. And and he's a guy who 49 ers fans are tired of seeing. But I I, I don't – I think for – I try to look at it for what he is. And Dante Johnson is not somebody that you bring in because you want him to be your number one corner or your number two corner or even your number three corner. Because right now they're down to the number four outside guy, and that's not even right. including Kwan Williams. So Which is
0: tough to do after one week of football.
1: I mean, that that's that's tough. That is a that is a situation that you don't want to be in. But if you are gonna be in that situation, I think you are somewhat okay and you'll try to figure out different things to do. They brought in Josh Norman, they brought in uh Drake Kirkpatrick to try to figure out well, you know. Damn, we're down to Johnson. We don't really want to have to play him, but we know he's at the very least serviceable. You talked about him really knowing the defense he's been around for a bunch of years outside of the one year he was away. He knows what they like to do. He's been around this coordinator He is at the very least serviceable to where he's not going to look like Brian Allen looked against the Miami Dolphins last year. There's going to be some tough moments, which we saw the pass interference. We saw the uh, goal line touchdown. But then there were other, what, about three other targets vertically down the field where I thought he covered well. And I think that's what you would likely want to see from the guy that you don't want to have to play. But we'll see what, what happens moving forward with the other guys that they brought in who, Kirkpatrick, I'm not necessarily high on him. Never really was a big fan of his. Had one year where I thought he played decent. And Josh Norman, who I think is definitely pre- past his prime. With that, Dante
0: Johnson, are, do you think that he's going to get the nod over the likes of Norman and Kirkpatrick just because he's been there, just because he knows? Because if if you were to break it down, I imagine Dante runs better than those two. <laughs>
1: yeah. Which yeah. is, um, science, which is we, crazy we, to say out loud. <laughs> I know. And you look at this this the team that the 49ers are playing against, man, and, and they got guys that can move, they got guys can run. So you're going to have to ask yourself, can a Josh Norman, can Kirkpatrick match the movement skills of a Devontae Smith or Jalen Rager? And I think that, that, that can definitely be a challenging uh, position for both of those guys. I mean, you can even ask that question for the Amador Lenore, who I think probably moves the best out of the 49ers guys that are playing right now, but still vertically with these guys, that's where I have the biggest issue with, uh, Lenore. And if teams start to realize, well, he's not really, he doesn't really have that next gear. Let's start trying him vertically, which didn't happen against the Lions, aside from so, the one where they actually had him beat.
0: They, I was going to say, they should have completed that pass. If golf was worth a damn, he's completing that pass. <laughs> and it. I don't want to say it's a touchdown, but it's definitely an explosive play. Um, on that, Lenore's eyes were caught in the backfield. That was a problem on two separate plays I remember where he's just speaking in the backfield and he loses sight of where his guy is and that's how he got behind him. Go ahead. I,
1: I think that's the reason why you ideally want to see Ambry Thomas start to take those, ste- you know, those steps in the next direction because he has the physical capability and, and all the intangibles that you want from your guy. But right now he's just, whether it's just bad luck or he's just not playing well, uh, it's not going well and you can't just go out there and put him out there. With they targeting him like three times, he played like nine snaps. They targeted him three times. and had like three catches, and one was a vertical pass. Like,
0: so he just looks like he has zero confidence in himself. I think he needs to make a play. I think it's really that simple when watching him because he's playing so passive. And that was against the Lions receivers who don't have speed. Like nobody on the Lions, why, um, on the Lions roster perimeter wise, anyway, is going to scare you. And he was just giving so much cushion where I think he's playing not to get beat as opposed to just you know playing loose, playing fast, and playing free because he's way too physically gifted to be playing as soft as he did. Um, I, th- I think it's a lot more going on upstairs as opposed to you know his physical abilities.
1: Yeah, and, and a lot of times with cornerbacks, and I talked about it on the Locked On podcast, that's, that's the transition that is the toughest for guys. And we can talk about all this athletic ability that Ambry Thomas has, but if you're thinking too much in your mind on, on what it is that you're being asked to do, you're going to get in trouble you're going to play slow. You know, I remember being with, with the New York Jets and, uh, you know, being at cornerback. And when I was in college, it was simple. It hey, got cover one, cover two, cover three, whatever. And we had very simple adjustments. The Jets... It was, you know, they introduced fire zones to me. I never heard of a fire zone defense, but now you got fire zone coverage. So I got fire zone three, I got sky cover three in different ways. And it's like, well, if you're in fire zone and they're bunched up, you got two guys, then you have to do this. But if it's three guys, then it's this. But if you have three, then one guy motions over, then it changes this. But if it's a fire zone, if it's sky, it's different, even though they're both cover three and all these things. And you have to be able to recognize those things at the snap. So when you see guys, and I talked about it with the uh, I tweeted out about the Raiders versus the Ravens where Raiders were doing so much pre-snap. Like, damn near every play, guys just moving. And I'm like, man, like, I was like, kudos to the Raiders for doing that because I know how much it changes things for a defense, for a, for a cornerback, for the linebackers. Every time a guy motions, things change. If a guy Whoa. motions back, something changes. Um, do you have two receivers to your side in the back? Am I counting the back in my count? Am I not? Is the back to me? Is the back away? You know, I got two receivers, one got motion away, like all these things. And you have to be able to process those things, process those things extremely fast. And if you are Ambry Thomas, who was so used to just playing at the line of scrimmage every single snap at, at uh, Michigan, this could be a challenge for him. Whereas opposed to uh, D'Amado Lenore, who played a little bit more versatile coverage at Oregon, he saw some different things. They asked him to do different things. He played off. He played different zones. He played man. He played press. So it might not be as big of a transition for De'Amma george as it is Amber Thomas right now.
0: No, and that's a really good point just as far as, you know, being ahead of the curve with what you were asked to do in college because you, you mentioned Michigan, like they're in your face every time. Oregon, that's not the case, and that's probably why Lenore was on the field sooner. But he also played in the slot, and I don't think that that's his best position. I think he probably is a perimeter cornerback. Uh, what do you think about that?
1: Who, who, uh, Amber Thomas? I no, mean, uh, yeah, I think
0: he's, I think he's better outside, which probably goes against what I initially thought when you just look at his testing numbers and which with what you would expect. But I think he's better with the sideline as his help, is what I
1: would say. I see, I think he's better. And I think he's, so I remember a couple of years ago, Kyle Shanahan was asked, like, what makes a receiver be able to play on the outside? And it was, He was like, if you can threaten corners vertically and win down the field, however you win down the field, then you can be an outside receiver. When I look at Lenore, it's what makes a guy have to be a slot corner. And I think some guys just can play it, but what forces a guy to kind of play there, and I think it's that lack of pure vertical speed um, that you will face on the outside, and guys really challenging vertically. And I'd say that that's, that's a question of mine with Lenore, just based on how I've seen him cover guys vertically, he's done well. But I'm like, there's a lot of times where we saw against the Chiefs game, got challenged about three times vertically. Neither of the times he was getting his head around. People are like, well, he's making plays on the ball. Why isn't he getting his head around? I'm like, I don't think he has that natural speed and burst to get him phased quick enough to be able to get his head around. So I think him being challenged vertically can eventually become a problem. So I think from that standpoint, he probably is better suited – Playing in the nickel. Now, again, that would be a transition for him. He was a guy who played primarily on the outside at Oregon. So, the, you know, understanding the angles, understanding the the twitchiness of some of these guys that play more in a slot or being in sync with your linebackers and understand where you he help helping, like all those things can be a transition for him. If he has to make that transition, especially for a guy who they didn't bring him in and say, Hey, you're a nickel. They brought him in and was like, Hey, you're an outside guy and a slot and probably gets way more reps on the outside. So, I think there's definitely room for him to grow in the nickel spot, but I think long-term that might be a place where he transitions into playing and is kind of better suited to play there. That's just kind of what I'm looking at right now. Definitely could be wrong.
0: My pushback on that would be the role. That nickel role is essentially a safety right now, or how I would describe it to somebody is like it's no longer a slot cornerback just because of all the rules that they have. So in the slot, and I was watching Lenore in the preseason, a little bit just this last game too, um, I, I guess I don't want to call it garbage time because it didn't end up being garbage time. But in the slot, they have so many rules, probably more rules than the perimeter cornerback, because now they have to take two up and out, which K1 Williams did not do. And they probably should have had a touchdown on that play. But uh, <laughs> there are rules where um, there was one play where his again, his I think it just comes back to his eyes. He had bad eyes where uh, he let a guy go to the flat and he didn't get there. Or if a guy goes to the flat, now you have to get your head around and find out where that guy is at the curl. So there are so many different things, so many moving parts, and he's just not used to that right now. So that's why he he would have to almost retrain everything he's used to looking at um, into the slot. So that's why I think at this point, he's probably best suited outside.
1: Until they commit to playing him in the slot. So like now, you know, and they'll probably point out little things, like you said, his eyes, like, hey, you got to drive your man first, at least for a couple steps, especially since you might not be the freakiest of athletes. If you are Jalen Ramsey, you might be able to get away with it because he is just such an explosive guy out of his break. But if you're not that, then you have to be a little bit more technically uh, sound, more consistently to be able to guard guys in that short area. So,
0: I mean, and that's another thing, just that his learning curve is going to be, you know, it's not going to be accelerated because He's having to learn outside. He's having to learn inside with t- not his fault at all, because, you know, you have to cross train knowing that injuries are coming. So um, we, we kind of have to just bear with Lenore, but he is doing a fine job based on everything that he's been asked to do. We talked a little bit about Norman Kirkpatrick. Uh, what are your thoughts? If we see them on the field, will we see them on the field? Will you be worried if we see a one-on-one matchup third down? Because, you know, uh, What's it? I can't even remember D'Amico Ryans, I' blank on his name real quick. He's going to bring it and he has, he does not care if you know about it. He's going to blitz. He was blitzing when it was uh, at the last at the final drive. he was still coming at uh, Jared Goff, so uh, they're going to play man behind it and that means you have to uh, the lack of shiftiness from both of these veterans who again, no fault of their own 31, 32, uh, on the wrong side of 30 at the cornerback. We know what Father time does when you get to 30 at cornerback. But uh, how how much of a worry would it be for you uh, to see Norman or Kirkpatrick out there? And, you know, will their veteran, you know, knowing that they've been around the game, knowing that they've seen probably every concept possible route-wise, uh, will that be able to help them or kind of save face for their lack of athleticism?
1: I think it's going to have to. You know, what made Richard Sherman be an all-pro uh, a couple years ago? Right? It wasn't his just physically, you know – gifted abilities at the age of 31 or however old he was at that time, coming off of a torn Achilles or two years removed from it. uh, You know, a guy like Josh Norman, he's going to have to be a step ahead mentally with everything. Because if he just plays everything honest and lines up against these guys, like not going to have a chance. He's going to have to make sure his angles are right. He's going to have to understand understand like the splits and what to expect from these guys consistently pre-snap. He's going to have to really understand route combinations and concepts that in different ways that they might have try to attack him. You know, if, if he's not on point with that, then, and we're talking about a guy who was not the most athletically gifted guy coming out. People talk about Richard Sherman. I think Josh Norman was like a four, six guy. Right. And at this age, he's like 34 years old now. Like it's probably just way worse. So <laughs> Um, That's with him. Now, with Drake or Patrick, he's just such a long corner that the movement skills of these shorter guys and the shiftiness and the short area quickness can definitely be challenging for him. I do think he runs well. Even at the age now of 31, going on 32, or however old he is, he does run well, and he has that long uh, body and frame to be able to make up for if somebody does potentially have a step on him. But it's the short area change of direction and quickness that can be extremely challenging for a guy like him when having to guard a, uh, a Devontae Smith. You know, I wish the 49ers drafted like the Patriots do. The Patriots draft guys for specific reasons. Like every everybody it's not really like an over, I guess technically it is their scheme, but – we're going to draft this guy because he can guard this type of guy. We're going to draft this guy because he can guard this type of guy. So they have like five different, five corners and they're all completely different. And then they play more matchup stuff where, you know, you might have a bigger guy playing the slot because, well, there's a bigger receiver there. You might have a smaller guy playing the outside because, well, it's a smaller guy there and they'll do some things with their defense, where everything is kind of based on your abilities and what your strengths are and how that matches up against somebody that you're playing against. So, He's not going to ask Jawan, uh, what's his name? Not Jawan Johnson, uh, Jawan Williams uh, that they got from like Vanderbilt, who's like 6'4", 215 pounds. They're not going to ask him like, hey, we're just going to continue to leave you on the island and play man-to-man against Devontae Smith. They're like, no, nah, man, we got uh, J.C. J.C. Jackson, Jackson. Or, or 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 we got uh, Jones, the guy that ran like 4'2", or whatever. Uh, you know, we're going to put that style of guy on him and, you know, we'll shift help to him however we have to do it. And I kind of like their style because 49ers, they play – a little bit more just pure outside, this side, that side. And the matchups can be extremely tough that way.
0: Yeah, and you would think with knowing what direction Ryans was heading in, knowing that he was going to be super aggressive. So Ambry Thomas kind of fit that role as far as, you know, if we're going to blitz, why not get a press corner? But I don't know where Lenore would fit into that scenario. So, no, that that is a good point just as far as getting guys for the right roles. Okay, so we've talked about Norman. We've talked about Kirkpatrick. We don't know what to expect from them, even though they did play last year, still have a couple rookies. Um, the Athletics' Dave Lombardi floated out the idea that the 49ers might go and pursue a trade, and that was for Vikings cornerback Cameron Dantzler, who, big fan of his coming out, but he was a healthy scratch <laughs> week one, which is never good, especially after – you know, he, he did finish strong. Uh, he finished the season strong. Do you think we see a trade from the 49ers a la Emmanuel Sanders where – You know, they they were missing a piece. They went out and got that piece, and he propelled them. And one thing that I do want to say real quick about Norman and Kirkpatrick is maybe they're going to help develop, you know, Lenore and Ambry Thomas as far as learning how to be a pro, learning what it's like in film, and maybe that, you know, accelerates the learning curve for those guys. But uh, eventually you need a guy who can help you on the field, and that's what really matters, and that's why uh, a trade is always going to be floated around for the 49ers.
1: I think when I I look at Dantzler – His, again, that athletic profile, he's he's a long, linear guy. And, you know, at his, at the combine, because I believe he was one of the guys that actually tested at the combine. He ran like four, six, four, which is not good. It's not ideal. Most corners that run like slow like that, uh, they run into some issues. Uh, And then he retested when he, you know, this was the COVID year where guys were kind of creating their own random uh, workouts and he ran like 4-3 or something like that. No, like, <laughs> right. three. no he right. played extremely well against Jamar Chase. I think he matches up and profiles against a receiver like that very well. That, you know, especially at the line of scrimmage, you know, Chase isn't somebody that's going to really challenge you from a movement skill standpoint. But his, his speed definitely, his lack of speed was an issue and showed up consistently last year. I mean, it was bombs away. If you look at – any any highlights against the Vikings defense? Most of them are on twenty seven and vertically. <laughs> so it's like you look into trading for him. I think I think it says more about maybe what they feel about Amari Thomas right now than anything else. Because right now, essentially, they're the same guy uh, with both third round picks. Press maybe man. being over underwhelming. So are you going to trade your third round pick that really hasn't even played a ton? I mean, we've seen Dantzler, but. Everything that you are seeing with Embry Thomas, he's going through the same thing. Dancer went through last year, and Dash still doesn't even have the upside because he lacks the speed to even be able to eventually make up for that. That's not to say he can't make any plays. He is an, he's he's a, a he's a good athlete, and he has good ball skills, but he is a liability uh, depending on how teams start attacking him. And I'd even I'd roll with Embry Thomas and take his lumps before. Going out and trading for a guy like cam Dansler and giving up any type of draft capital i, I just i i i that would it that would be equivalent to in whatever you give up from trading uh a j jenkins for 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 <laughs> doug Baldwin or not baldwin what was his name the one from uh, the chiefs that they got
0: yep uh what was it oh man john Baldwin i can't.
1: Right? john baldwin like that that would be the equivalent of doing that where it's just like you're bringing in somebody. And like, what are the expectations of this guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, is he really gonna help you? I I, I don't I don't think I don't think he helps the 49ers anything. I I'd go with what they got right now, and you're just gonna have to figure out a way to build up Amber Thomas's confidence to really get him going.
0: So I think Dancer is better than what you're leading on. He's not complete trash, like you're saying. I'm not is. saying he's
1: complete trash, I'm just saying with, he still is gonna be a liability, and that's sure. what you're trying to get away from.
0: Right. No, that that's fair. And you always have to wonder how how much more comfortable will they be in a new setting with the defensive line? Will they be more aggressive knowing that they have that type of help? Um, those things do have to factor in. I do think the way he finished last year um, was very good, but the reason he's been a healthy scratch, the reason he hasn't played this year, the reason he struggled in training camp, the Vikings asked him to gain weight, which caused the speed problems. He's never really been a person uh, who could maintain weight. I was talking to a couple of Vikings guys about they do that. I uh, hate when these teams do
1: that. Like. Yeah. He's a thin-built guy, and I remember people talking about Kelly Witherspoon. He needs, to, he needs to gain more weight so he can be more physical. Like, dude, gaining weight is not going to make you more physical. Yeah. You, you're either going to be physical or you're just not. Now, lifting weights and being stronger, like, that can be, build a certain level of confidence to where you do feel like, oh, okay, I'm more suited to be more aggressive right now. But having a guy like Dansler, who's just 6'2", 175, whatever he was, like, that weight has to come a little bit more natural. Like, these dudes are young, too. But we're talking right. about somebody that's 20, 21 years old when he's getting drafted. Like, when when I was 21 years old, I wasn't the 195 to 200-pound corner that I was at the age of 24, 25. Like, the, the the weight can come on a little bit more naturally. But when you force it, you start to have this guy lose what makes him good to begin with. Yes. Same thing with a guy like Devontae Smith. Like, everybody, he's 166 pounds. Everybody wants him to just gain all this weight. And it's like, why? Like, has it shown to be an issue with him being light or underweight or under the standards of what you feel like? Like, no, he's still whooping guys. He's still playing big at the catch point. He's still doing all the things you do. So don't make him just gain this weight unnaturally. So having a guy like Dancelor, yeah, like that's not going to help him because you what? adding 10 pounds of weight, like that's just going to hurt a guy who already wasn't the most physically gifted with his speed. No,
0: I agree 100%. And, and that's just – you know, teams being so traditional that that's all they know. Hey, this guy's 180 pounds. What do we do? We make him eat more. Are we going to care about what else happens? No. Are we going to think outside of the box? We're going to think big picture of what this could possibly do to him. No. We just want. We're just thinking bottom line. He needs to gain weight because in my mind, he's not physical. When really, he actually was pretty physical and he did challenge and he was aggressive against the run. So, um, that's just the NFL being the NFL or just coaches being coaches because that's at every level and. Uh, again I think it always comes back to humanizing and think about how that affects the player we never really get there okay let's talk about who the 49ers starting cornerbacks will be a month from now two weeks from now at the end of the season like are we going to see new names will they bring in somebody else will Lenore have progressed by then will Thomas have gained some confidence by then are we going to be Norman will it be Karpatch they have so many options could it be freaking Dante Johnson? Does Dante because to be fair, last year when he played, he was not bad. He was not bad at all. He looked competent. <laughs> he looked like he belonged. Then last week, then uh over tra- during training camp. And I don't know if it's just because like the the receivers know him or whatever, but when he goes against the 49ers receivers, it's never good. <laughs> it does not look good at all. But I, I don't know, man. I, I always, I always want to give these guys the benefit of the doubt just because of the D-line they're playing in front of. But you have to make plays when they throw you the ball, and that did not happen last week. But again, it's one week, and it's tough to overreact. But you know that teams are licking their – like, imagine Sean McVay watching that game, thinking what he's going to do to the 49ers secondary. He's probably thinking, I can scheme around the O-line, or I can scheme around the defensive line. I just need to get the ball – uh, out to the perimeter and and make those guys make a play. So what do you think is gonna happen outside there?
1: I, I think if, if we're talking about week eight and on, right? We'll say week eight to the Super Bowl, because 49 is going all the way, baby. But um week eight to the I think is gonna be uh if I had to guess right now, I'm gonna go with Emmanuel Mosley and Josh Norman. One oh. thing I do like about Josh Norman, regardless of his physical limitations that he might have and we'll see if that ends up getting the best of him this year. But I love his confidence. And I love I love his aggressiveness and how he plays. And I know people are going to make fun of him because he got stiff-armed through the ground uh, by Derrick Henry. But he plays with a ton of confidence. He really believes in himself. He believes in what he sees. And I think having a guy like that out there, like especially right now where I feel like there's no right answer at that position, <laughs> he's right. a guy that I feel like you can you can win games with and I feel like he's going to make plays. Uh, and again, a lot of it is just going to be because of the confidence that he has in himself, regardless of what bad happens. So I'm I'm going to go with Josh Norman. He's going to be the guy, and I think Emmanuel Mosley. And I think the way you do it is, it's like, hey, right now, Lenore, you're starting, but eventually, you know, we'll see. Maybe he just continues to play well and c- continues to excel, and he ends up being a guy like Chris Harris Jr. I don't know. But... I think ideally you would like Emmanuel Mosley out there. not
0: be Chris Harris Jr., then they hit a home freaking run. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, and, and you look at him, we keep talking about athletic profile and stuff, and that's similar to Lenore. Like, Chris Chris Harris, undrafted guy, wasn't a guy that tested extremely well, didn't have all the size, but somehow he just ended up being hella good. And I'm not saying that that's what Lenore is going to be, but I'm saying as far as a guy who kind of has some of these limitations but is able to overcome them somehow, some way, and become a terrific corner, unless we're seeing something like that, I, I, I'd expect at some point, probably Josh, Josh Norman starting soon. And then once Emmanuel Mosley is ready, he just comes in and replaces the rookie.
0: So by you saying that you're saying you, you don't, you're not really worried about Mosley's knee, hamstring, whatever it may be, because he's battled both of those over the past month. And you think that he'll be able to overcome those issues? Or do you think it's going to be a scenario where Mosley's in and out of the lineup? Because I think he's good enough where if he's healthy, he has to play. Like he's bet he's, he's the best cornerback that'll be healthy or that'll right. be active on the team. So if he's healthy, he's probably going to play.
1: Yeah. And, and I think I'm just banking on like kind of best case scenario with his health issues. I got you. He wasn't a guy that got hurt really. I mean, he did break his arm that rookie year when he finally got active. But since then, he doesn't seem like a guy that continues to battle, like continues to have like health issues. So hopefully this is just something that just kind of passes and he's able to kind of play through any little minor you know, things that happen to him or manage a knee or groan or whatever else is going on with him.
0: So I don't think that we do see a trade. And when I say that, like, they're not going to go out and get Stephon Gilmore. Like, that's just not.
1: Or really. CJ Henderson. That's the name that keeps popping up. That's a guy's name that I like, but I watched the game last night and CJ Henderson started like he, 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 he play
0: play. played every snap. Yeah. They're not going to trade their former first round pick who traded every snap. Everything that I've heard about that was more so like he has off the field issues where, I mean, we don't have to get into it, but it's not a physical thing. It's not uh, something that they're willing to give up on. So, yeah, CJ Henderson, not happening. He would be the best cornerback on the 49ers and he would be a great developmental guy, especially within this scheme. But yeah, that's just, you know, just a pipe dream is what it feels like. So, right. yeah, I, I think it's going to be Mosley, but I just don't think Norman's going to hold up, man. I Everything that I've seen from him, and, and not as far – not just like when I'm, when I'm saying this, the Derrick Henry play, that's not what comes to my, my mind. It's being able to cover guys, you know, on third and seven. It's being able to cover guys on second and ten where, you know, he might not have the help. So I don't know that I could trust him without help. In this division, I know the receivers, in this like they have some dogs in this division, and the teams are not going to try to run the ball in the 49ers. Yeah, the Detroit Lions had success, but that was guys like Fred Warner just talked about. Guys are hopping out of their gap. Uh, Zach Kerr was getting bulldozed and washed down the line six yards. So that's not sustainable. I don't think that's going to be an issue where teams are going to try to attack the secondary. I think it's going to end up being Mosley, and for some reason, I think it's going to be Drake or Patrick. I don't know why. Um, but I just think like at the end of the day, his, his experience from last year, I don't think he played poor. I don't think he played as poorly as Norman. I don't think he is going to be a guy that will get beaten deep, um, to the extreme of Norman. And I I think that the 49ers know the one way to score on them is to give up explosive plays. And as we saw last week, as we talked about a little bit, the limitations of Lenore will probably come up to catch him. And again, that's not me talking down on him. There's that's not his fault. Like, D.K. Metcalf is going to run by him if if they play Seattle. Like that's just going to happen. So um, I think that we see Mosley and I think that we see Kirkpatrick. But I do want to know how this rotation works out Um, because you don't just sign Norman to not play him, right? You don't just sign Kirkpatrick to not play him. So is it going to be like musical chairs at cornerback? Is it going to be, hey, you get a series here, you get a series here, and we're just going to roll with a hot hand? Or how, how do you think that plays out?
1: I think you can figure out just who gives you the best chance to be successful out there. And, you know, it's you know none of these guys are great like that, or they would not have been available. So you have to see who can grasp what it is that you're trying to do and who plays with the most confidence out there and who's able to do it. I will say, even Drake Kerpetri, he is a guy that's extremely confident as well. So whoever ends up coming out on top, I, I feel like you're you're gonna be better suited. Uh, but I don't think there's like a press where it's just like, well, okay, we got to try this or try that. They'll, they'll figure out who, who looks the best in practice, who's grasping it, and, you know, just different guys to get their chance. And, again, and I kind of brought this up about the game, and there, I don't want to say there are a lot of overreactions to the week one game. I would say that there were a lot of positives, and then obviously like things that you would like to see the 49ers improve on, but the Super Bowl is not won in week one. So you have time to kind of figure out this cornerback situation. You know, it's not if if you don't have it solved by, you know, week 12 when you're kind of getting down going down the stretch of trying to really figure out your playoff run and stuff, then that's when you're going to be in trouble. But I think the 49ers front along with, you know, uh, you know, Ward and Tart and Williams, I think they'll be good enough to kind of I don't want to say mask a, a, a corner, but I, I don't think that one corner spot with the guys that they have on the roster right now will kill the 49ers and just make it to where oh my gosh the Forty ers defense sucks so bad and you just can't win or, or anything with the guys that are out there. I, I don't think well, I don't think we'll have that conversation. I will think we'll I do think we'll have the conversation of, hey that guy is kind of a liability at times.
0: Yeah, it's going to be tough to mask him or whoever the, the him is for the entire game. But no, you brought up a couple of good points. The last play schedule is going to help this team a ton. Like, I th- also think their offense is going to be as good as we saw. Uh, I think they'll, because they're going to be able to score, you know, 28, 30, 35 points a game, it's going to be tough for other teams to keep up with them. So while they may be, they may give up plays on defense, uh, just keeping pace with the 49ers offense is going to be really tough. And I think that's why we said week eight, as far as figuring it out. So if they haven't figured it out by the trade deadline, then then maybe we might see a trade, but I think they can afford to kind of shuffle cornerbacks until then and see, you know, what they have in a guy like Ronald what they have in a guy like Kirkpatrick or Norman. So it'll be fun, man. I, I don't know what to expect. And I think that's kind of what makes it so fun. What do you got?
1: I, I will say this. We talked about CJ Henderson and uh, he started, he ain't for sale, but if you by the trade deadline, And if Jacksonville just continues to lose the way that they are, there is an opportunity for you to maybe start kind of picking guys off of their roster. At that point, if C.J. Henderson is still having these kind of whatever's going on and I've got some messages that somebody was like, man, he just don't want to be there and all type of other things. Like if those things are still kind of going on, then there will be an opportunity to be able to get a guy like him uh, on your roster. It is going to be one of those teams that are just doing bad and you'll be able to kind of trade for a guy that can help you improve and solidify that spot. Ideally, you would like Embry Thomas to be able to play and be confident by then. Right. Right now, he's in an advantageous situation where you don't have to play him. You don't have to start him right now. He can kind of work through his issues. But at some point, the clock will start ticking for him.
0: No, I agree 100 percent. Again. Uh, so here, here, here's who they got coming up. So they have the Eagles, Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager. They have the Packers. So Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. They have the Seahawks, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. They have the Cardinals, AJ Green, now Rondell Moore, and of course DeAndre Hopkins. And that's their next three games. And it's tough. Good. Yeah. There's there's no way to get around hiding that. But again, uh, who knows what to expect? And I think that's why we're all gonna tune in. Um, thank you for taking the time. To join me today, again, my name's Kyle Posey. This is The Shannon Plan. Follow me on the Twitters at KP underscore show. Eric, where can we find you?
1: At Eric underscore Crocker on Twitter.
0: All right, as always, thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, review, leave us a five-star wherever you get, and please listen to the Lock On Podcast 49ers. That way Eric does not have to complain about dropping to number three. Thank you for listening, and go Niners.